One of the latest tools to be used in the battle against taggers is a high-pitch alarm that can only be heard by people under 25. The so-called mosquito alarms have been installed in South Auckland by the Safer Papakura Trust, which says the aim is to drive people away from areas prone to vandalism. The alarm can't be heard by older people because hearing ability deteriorates as a person ages. The alarms make up a small part of the millions of dollars spent in the battle against the spray can. But earlier this year, Penny Mackay asked whether the lack of unity over how to tackle taggers means the war may never be won. A South Auckland businessman's being held in custody after appearing in the Manukau District Court today charged with murdering a teenager. Local people say the teenager was stabbed after being chased. Last year, on the evening of January the 26th, 15-year-old tagger Piyama Cameron was stabbed to death in a quiet Manurewa cul-de-sac by the owner of an upholstery business, Bruce Emery. He must have been pushed to the extremes to kill a child like that. Justice Williams has urged the jury to be... During Bruce Emery's trial, his wife said that the family had had a lot of problems with tagging, but although her husband had yelled at taggers before, he had never been violent. In my view, the appropriate sentence to be imposed upon you in all the circumstances on your conviction for manslaughter is one of four years and three months imprisonment. That's the sentence of the court. Stand down. The life of a successful businessman, father to three daughters in ruins, and another family grieving for a young life lost. What is it about the painting of stylized signatures and pictures on fences and walls that has the capacity to cause such an extreme outcome? The law's not here to protect us, you know. They get away with it too lightly. They should be made to pay for it, even if it comes out of their, uh, you know, welfare money. Nagan runs a food market in Wellington. On many mornings when he arrives to open the shop, he finds fresh tags on the building. Oh, it's very irritating, you know, when you see all that mess that they make. They do it everywhere around here. I think we've got a lot of college kids and uh, varsity kids around here. That's probably the reason for it. If I paint over it this weekend, next weekend somebody else will be uh, graffitiing it already, you know, so it's not worth cleaning it up. What do you think should happen to them? <laughs> oh, I don't want to know that. I couldn't tell you how many times. It's just constant. constant. Yes, it has been in the last couple of years. Oh, it's just annoying. You know, every time I drive up the street and you see there's something else on the building. Yeah, just really annoying. Outside the food market, the owner of the building, Shona, tells me she feels seriously aggravated at having to battle unseen vandals who seem to blithely cause so much inconvenience. And the thing is, I want to paint the building, you know, completely, but it just it puts you off. You know, you spend all that time and money having it um, done up, and then the next thing somebody will come along again and tag it. Well, we're beginning a study that looks at the motivations of uh, taggers and people involved in graffiti. Particularly, we want to Mike Rowe of Victoria University is one of two criminologists about to launch a research project commissioned by the Ministry of Justice into taggers. He says graffiti vandalism is inextricably linked in people's minds to community disorder and incipient crime. It's one of those crimes that um, is sometimes referred to by, uh, by criminologists and policymakers as, as a signal crime. It sends out messages of, um, of broader problems, messages of social neglect that, uh, 
that the area um, where the graffiti occurs is, is, a, is a run-down area, is likely to suffer from other problems. Um, and although it's a minor crime in, in absolute terms, it kind of punches above its weight in as much as it uh, goes a long way to, to raise people's fear of crime and incivility. It's been estimated that one can of spray paint can do $10,000 worth of damage. And when it happens over and over and over again, no one blames property owners getting angry. Mike Rowe. It's the relative sense of powerlessness that if one becomes a victim of graffiti, then it's the kind of crime that very often the authorities will see as relatively minor. And so the, the property owner is left with the, the responsibility, the cost and the time it takes to clear it up. And of course, um, even in doing that, we know that it's likely that it might very well recur. It's an irony that taggers who seek celebrity through the repeated painting of their scrawled signature, or tag, on buildings and fences are so difficult to interview. Many I approached refused to be taped. A youth worker tells me that in the aftermath of the Bruce Emery case, the taggers and their more creative cousins, the graffiti artists, have gone to ground, fearing they too could be hurt if someone finds them painting on private property. The younger kids that I've spoken to, they're just kind of aware of how high profile everything is at the moment and they're just like kind of pulling back just because I mean with some of the places that they go you know what happens if they're doing a bridge or doing some art somewhere and somebody's walking their dog I mean are they going to be carrying a knife are they going to get jumped as well I finally managed to talk on condition of anonymity to a group of girl taggers they tell me why they go out at night to tag or do bombings the name given to the big colorfully decorated tags You've got nothing to do, so you go go meet up with your friends and do something like that. Either drunk or stoned, <laughs> just like people usually hit up their names, like write their names as they're known by, so they can be well known. Like, oh look, there's that person, that person's name. Tell me why it's important to be well known. I don't know. It's like. Everyone wants to be well known because it's like a competition or something, isn't it? This particular spot we decided that we would um, put a mural on it just to stop the blank canvas. Sergeant Ian Pengelly is the anti-graffiti specialist for County's Monaco Police. He's standing next to a mural in Howick, painted legally by Pakuranga students. He says there's almost no typical tagger. Predominantly a tagger is a male, however we are finding more females are now starting to come into it, but predominantly the one fact that stands out is a tagger is a male. The majority are aged between 14 years old and 19 years old. We have had them younger and we have had them older. We've actually had them in the 40s. They come from both low and high socio-economic environments. They are all ethnicities, all religious persuasions, and have all different cultural backgrounds. So there's no one person that you say is a tagger, they come from everywhere. Wa Edmonds of the eight-year-old Monaco Beautification Project is supervising the painting over of a graffiti-ridden commercial building. This is a commercial building, which means that um, these owners, they pay a donation towards what we're doing because we're a trust. This building we're doing right now was totally covered in tags. It's like a big billboard. It, it stands out in the open, um, easy to see, uh, nice big plain wall, um, and it's right in the public eye. 
and a lot of these guys like to like to have their tags out there for people to see. As you see now, it's, it's starting to look a lot more, a lot more beautiful. Wa Edmonds describes the war of attrition he's engaged in at the site. I have to check it every day because it gets tagged quite a lot. A lot of taxpayers' money could go towards better things. Uh, very frustrating too because we've got a whole area to cover, South Auckland, Manukau District. But if we're too busy going to the same building all the time, we get behind on our work because we're having to focus on one building more than the others. Sometimes I don't see tags in the area that I've been for quite a while, it might take about two weeks and then it's back again. If we can hit them straight away, that frustrates the taggers. And then they start realising this is not a good place to put their tag because it's getting wiped out all the time. There are no national statistics kept on the cost of graffiti vandalism, but the scale of the problem is illustrated by the fact that in Manukau alone, 33 workers of the Manukau Beautification Trust wipe out more than 300,000 tags each year, which costs up to a million dollars, just for one organisation and just for Manukau. Last year, the Labour-led government introduced the STOP strategy that stands for Stop Tagging Our Place, which among other things banned the sale of spray paint to under-18s and increased the penalties for tagging. Ian Pengelly from County's Manukau Police lays out what can now happen to taggers. For minor offending, we use the new legislation, which has a penalty of community service and or a $2,000 fine. When we have the guys that get caught more than once, or the amount of damage they've done is more than minor, then they'd be charged underneath the Lawful Damage under the Summary Offences Act, and that carries a penalty of three months in prison or a $2,000 fine. And then when we go into the serious offenders, and these are the guys that are doing a lot of damage out there, um, costing thousands of dollars, they'll be charged under the Crimes Act, intentional damage which carries a seven-year imprisonment penalty. The truth is, a lot of taggers don't get caught, and for those that get away, Sergeant Pengelly says tagging can be what is known as a gateway crime. It's possibly the one crime that, to a certain extent, is a step towards further offending, and that's where you've got to ask the parents, know what your kid's doing, because it can lead to other offending. Um, if they're not caught, because it's quite hard to catch a tagger sometimes doing it, hence they get the thrill of it, the next step then is once I've been doing it for a while, what's the next thrill? Stealing, uh, drugs, they're out late at night, mixing with um, some pretty bad people out there, getting into fights, um, they're now starting to carry knives and weapons. So as you can see it's just a, a natural progression if it's left. Last year, a Hawke's Bay District Court judge started sentencing taggers to short prison terms and his counterpart in Northland did the same. It's something that Leah Martena, who's Youth Justice Spokesperson for the Sensible Sentencing Trust, believes is appropriate for persistent taggers. A repeat offender is a repeat offender no matter what offence they create and tagging is an entry-level entry offence and if it's not stopped they quite often go on to commit more serious crimes so if a jail sentence needs to be handed down to, to hopefully teach a, a lesson then that's the way it has to be. So is the short, sharp shock of imprisonment the answer? Dr Mike Rowe from Victoria University suspects imprisonment is ultimately ineffective. Unless we understand why people become involved in this kind of activity and what shapes their involvement. Unless we can understand that, we can't really stop it. I don't think um, throwing people in jail or 
have a draconian responses I don't think is either effective either in terms of uh, financial or any other outcome for that matter. One of the taggers who spoke to me believes sending taggers to prison is an overreaction. That's stupid, just jailing people that's writing on the wall. Why is that stupid? Because that's not really a crime, is it? Because if you're doing it to other people's property, it kind of is, but that's just called disrespectful. Jail is one option to try to defeat the taggers, but there are a slew of other ways being used to reduce their numbers. It's essentially a joint project between the Auckland Metropolitan Police and the, all the Auckland City Councils. Stuart Andrews, the coordinator of the Auckland Region Graffiti Free Project, says there's no silver bullet yet, but the bronze bullet is wiping out the tags within 24 hours. Such a quick response denies the taggers the celebrity they so desperately seek. But Stuart Andrews says it can't always be achieved. Far from it. We don't yet have all the sort of asset owners like the utility companies all lined up heading in the same direction as us. For example, a council might uh, clean off graffiti from, say, a, a park bench or a rubbish bin or something like that, but there might be a power box that's adjacent to that that might be tagged as well, but the council can't touch that. They don't have permission to touch it. Anyone can ring their local council and ask for graffiti to be removed from their property, but there are no guarantees it will be done in that magic 24-hour zone. Standing next to a wall coated in black graffiti messages, Wellington City Council's operations manager, Mike Mendonca, explains. Stencil graffiti that we have, but most of it just childish and pure old. And tagging. It's been here too, too, too long. Good on you, mate. Yeah. So as you can see, it gets people going. It's, um, it's unattractive, unappealing, and as a council, we try and do what we can to deal with it. Do you follow the rapid removal policy of within 24 hours? We do. Wellington City Council has a policy of removing as quickly as possible, and if it's obscene, it's, it's um, within one hour. But we, we do that focused on residents and small businesses. We expect large businesses and property owners to actually come to the party themselves. And we think that very careful about not making graffiti and tagging just a council problem. It's really just a social problem. So, so we're quite keen um, to have joint ownership of these things. Those kind of things annoy the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. And why? These. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. can't touch we them. can't touch, touch them. What is that? That's a, um, a substation. Sub substation. Mm. But they, they make the place look ugly. In Porirua, 30 minutes north of Wellington, Jay, Karina and Faithful, who make up the city's anti-graffiti team known by the taggers as the Graffiti Grannies, take me on a tour of their once heavily tagged city. Please don't have the um, a rapport with, with the families, whereas the graffiti grandmas know these kids' parents. Yeah, they cross, oh, these are graffiti grannies. Hey, you get lots of waves. Back at their base, Jay and Karina say their greatest frustration is not that they have to repeatedly clean a building until the taggers give up. They accept that as part of the job. What really vexes them is that industry and utilities such as power and telephone companies are so slow to paint out tags on their property. Ownership is a real issue with tagging. We're not allowed to touch that telephone box, you're not allowed to touch the telephone poles, you know. This is because... This because is they're not... contracted. That's they're why. contracted to another, to three be removed. So it's really hard for us because we might clean up a street of fences with the owners giving full permission, but all the power poles are still tagged and the, um, the power boxes are still covered in tags. And, you know, the kids come back and they'll go, oh, no, done. It's still there, their fame is still there. 
and you leave one tag and it just encourages to add more. 30 minutes north of Porirua is the seaside town of Ōtaki. And I think it was a courier man. He saw us around the back of this building over here. And he identified us standing there looking at all this tagging. And I was taking some photos and the boys were just looking at it. And then um, he thought that we were the culprits. And he started abusing us, saying, what, are you proud of what you've done or something like that? Youth worker Mike Chase is driving a graffiti removal team to the centre of the township to paint over tags which appeared over the previous couple of days. The team has virtually cleaned up the town, which last August had 2,000 tags blanketing it. But Mike Chase agrees the unhurried response to tagging by telephone and power companies needles all the graffiti removal workers. We have people coming from out of our community who have got contracts to clean up this area. But because they don't live here, there's no sort of urgency to come and do it quickly. And we want to get rid of it as soon as we can because it actually uh, promotes or encourages people to do even more. So yeah, we, we would like too to have a, a bit more engagement with these contracted services to say, hey, why don't you consider us to clean up? A Melbourne-based spokesperson for Wellington Electricity Lines, which maintains suburban substations in the area, said no one wanted to take part in this insight. And Transfield, responsible for many of Telecom's telephone poles, also turned down the opportunity to defend how long it takes to wipe out tagging. Although, in a written statement, they say they do it as soon as is practical. Many jurisdictions, both here and overseas, have tried so-called walls of tolerance, where tagging is permitted. But, as Wellington City Council's Mike Mendonca explains, the two in the capital city have not proved particularly successful. What we've found with those sites is that taggers will practice and then take their work elsewhere. Well, there are a lot of debates, pros and cons, but at the end of the day, the whole deal with tagging is it's kind of uh, naughty, it's illegal, it's a bit of a buzz doing something that's against the rules, so by making it legal, you kind of take away the whole thrill of doing it. Along with the zones of tolerance carrot, Wellington City Council also carries a big stick. Two, in fact. It's offering $100 to someone who dobs in a tagger. And so far, $2,000 of ratepayers' money has been paid out to 20 people. The council also names and shames taggers by forcing some of them, as they wipe out graffiti, to wear a bright pink vest with the word tagger on the back. Mike Mendonca says tagging has been massively reduced in the areas where the pink vests have been worn. Very difficult to quantify, but yes, we took photos of before and after, and um, I guess one of the best measures was that um, the local constable in Kilburnie went to take a television news crew across to have a look at some graffiti, and they couldn't find any. Yet um, 18 months ago, the place was pretty well riven with graffiti. But Dr Mike Rowe of Victoria University says the pink vest idea is likely to be only a temporary solution. Often crime prevention initiatives of all kinds produce a short-term reduction. That may mean that the problem appears to have been solved, which means that uh, attention moves on to something else and the problem then returns. So it may not be sustained. It may also be that the problem is just relocated to other parts of the city. Back in Porirua, Karina and Jay describe a different approach. A few youth have been referred to us through restorative justice or through some other agency and they come on board. Well, they have to be taggers, of course, and we take them out and Jay's sort of like the social worker with them. <laughs> but, um, you know, we've had pretty successful runs so far with the young boys that we've had. Now tell me this, why is the cleaning up of a tag not just a blimming 
punishment for them and they can't wait to get away from you all and, and get out there and get another can and start tagging again. Well, this mean, we can only speak on behalf of the ones that we've worked with and um, I think it's our approach towards these kids. Yeah. You build that rapport with them. The first couple of days they tend to look at us like we're cops, but I pretty much put it on the table. I'm not a cop, I'm not your mother. You know, you play ball with me and I respect you, you respect me. Um, and once we get going, after after a week or two, these kids just want to keep coming back. You know, and they want to volunteer their services. So whatever we're doing, we're doing it right. Driving me and the graffiti grandmas around Porirua is Dallas Crampton, the city's community safety project manager. He says it's the particular approach of the graffiti grannies, who are also members of the Porirua community group WAG, that makes the difference. If a kid's living under an interchange, if they've been abused sexually or physically, maybe from what we'd call a dysfunctional family, kicked around from pillar to post, packet of smokes is the goal in life, then to spend time with WAG, Afid, supported, eating pies together, painting out tagging, they go away with a vision in life to achieve that they never could have beforehand. Back in Wellington, Stan, who's the Wellington City Council Supervisor of Young Offenders, also believes that, despite the zones of tolerance, the pink vests and the dob in a tagger scheme, the most powerful tool in getting the taggers to stop is attention of the best kind. And I just trying to get them off tagging and get them back into school when someone like 14, 13 and they show me they're tagging and oh yeah I've done that one and I go geez you fellas should have been doing this and the private owners that own this building that's why they get so curious about you fellas because you fellas are tagging on their property and they it's costing them and they sort of realise oh yeah okay okay I'll just get them to clean it up and then yeah all of a sudden they're fine I'll have them for a week and they just say thanks to me and then thanks to the jobs and gosh seen a couple I took last year and now they've got jobs they're doing 40 hour week jobs and now they realise oh, they're more taking from us and they've got real jobs too tired to go out at 2 o'clock in the morning Stuart Andrews of the Auckland Region Graffiti Free Project says subtle changes to the urban environment can be a valuable tool against graffiti vandalism it's called crime prevention through environmental design for example an owner of a commercial building might have a, a big plain wall that's often tagged so perhaps in that instance uh, shrubs could be planted in front of the wall and over time then that become, the wall becomes less of a target because the canvas disappears. Um, there's other options too, things like uh, CCTV or perhaps better lighting in that area. Dallas Crampton agrees, pointing out how seemingly small improvements to a Porirua street, combined with residents who are prepared to get involved, are effective in the fight against graffiti. Housing New Zealand came to the party and installed this nice transparent fence at the front. The resident, one of our graffiti guardians, at the other end, from his lounge and kitchen, can now see the entire length of the alleyway and has gone out and talked to kids when he's thought they're tagging. Tree down, eh? mm. The trees, they stop. The street lighting, street light here in the end of a cul-de-sac, and that was expected to light this walkway. It was as black as the inside of a cow down there. Mm -hmm. A great place for those that want to get up to mischief to hang out, and that's what they used to do. Mike Chase in Ōtaki also believes graffiti is a community problem and won't be solved until community members take some responsibility. The most positive outcome I, I see is when tagging comes up, owners of property 
are going along and cleaning it up straight away themselves. They're not having to call us. I've identified a tag that's come up. I've gone back there the next day and the owners have, have cleaned it up themselves. They say now the town's clean. A tag's shown up there and they've addressed it immediately and that's what we wanted to do is raise the awareness and, and make everyone take that responsibility to clean it up, not just wait for us. The importance of community involvement is something Stuart Andrews from the Auckland Region Graffiti Free Project agrees with. The bottom line is if everybody did take care of their own properties, it'll be, you know, job would be done by lunchtime sort of thing. So that's, that is a big thing. And the councils can only go so far. They can't, they can't touch private properties, for example, or commercial buildings. And they do assist as much as they can, but there is a limit to what they can do. So the, the public can really help by helping themselves. One of the most successful preventative methods is permissible street art. Harnessing the latent talent in some taggers and teaching them how to properly execute urban art has been found to be very effective. Firstly, it stops them tagging, and secondly, it stops the area they paint on being tagged because taggers will generally respect really good graffiti art. One of the jobs that I do is look at how we can set up creative initiatives in the community to actually draw the youth to to be a part of those programs, those creative programs. Masepa Edwards, the creative director of Waiata Artists Trust in Auckland, is all for the creative art answer to tagging. The whole idea, I think, is to find creative ways to prevent our young people from continuing to tag simply for the attention. There's not enough creative programs that are preventative to actually help initiate, say, turning a tagger into an actual professional artist. What's highlighted is more the problem. So you highlight the problem, you get more of the problem. But Masepa Edwards says such programs in the past have been let down by their funders. There are plenty of people out in the community who have the heart and the passion to do something. But you're solely dependent on the support, financial support of government funding to help make these projects really work. So it's, it's a two-way thing. It starts from the top. The very top source are complaining about the situation, about the problem. And it's the very same source that chop you at the knees. Many anti-graffiti organisations are looking down the track a few years, using education programmes to thwart the influence of teenage taggers on their younger brothers and sisters. Kia ora, Maddie speaking. Sarah Helm from Enzard, or New Zealand Aotearoa Adolescent Health and Development, says education programmes to prevent tagging should be all about young people identifying with their community. I think it's really important to uh, inspire and provide young people connection with their community and pride in their community. We all want to feel like we're part of where we live, not just um, annoying part of the community that has to be controlled and contained. So if these education programs on graffiti are working to help to connect young people in, into the community and take pride and, and, and a sense of joy in the area that they live in, that's probably going to produce some really good results. And Sarah Helm says whichever approach against graffiti is taken, social change takes a long time. From the punishment perspective through to the supporting young people perspective, it's not none of it's going to work straight away and we just have to deal with that. We've helped to create the society as adults and um, it's a society in which tagging happens, so let's try and change that. 
Tagging, or even graffiti art done without permission, is just vandalism. And like other vandalism, its roots seem to lie in young people feeling disaffected and disconnected from their community. Jailing taggers may give succour to those fed up and feeling helpless about how to tackle the problem. But it appears the long-term answer may lie within the community. That insight was written and presented by Penny Mackay. It was produced by Sue Ingram and was first broadcast in February.